begin today with the question that the leaders of the Jewish people had for Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? By what authority are you doing these things? Now, really, what were they asking? They were asking this. Who do you think you are? I mean, that really. Who do you think you are? Now, it's actually not that surprising that they would have asked Jesus this question. If you were to imagine that someone walked in to your house and they began fiddling with your thermostat. And then they went downstairs and they started taking a look at your appliances and taking the front cover off your dryer and poking around in there. And then they went down to your furnace and started inspecting it. And then they went upstairs into your bedroom and started checking how neat and tidy everything was. And they were just making full and free reign of your house. You would probably ask them, wait, who, who, who do you think you are? This is, this is my house. Now Jesus here in Mark chapter 11 is in the temple. He is in the temple, we have learned from the other Gospels, and he was teaching in the temple. He was teaching publicly. Groups of people, crowds. And perhaps the day before, only the day before we're reading this, he had gone into the temple, and he had made, shall we say, a scene. He took all of the money changers, the people who had been exchanging money in the temple, and drove them out. He kicked all the animals that were being sold there for sacrifices out. He was making a complete mess of things. Can't you imagine the priests? This is my house. This is, this is our house. Who do you think you are? Now, in our particular environment here, our urban environment here at Straight Gate Church, we've had some people coming into this house, as you know, and seeking to exercise various pieces of authority. I remember uh, a time when there was our adult Sunday school immediately after. Someone just endeavored to pull out his own musical instrument and get out and begin serenading the group that was assembled. I've got a musical instrument to play for you. And we kind of had to come along here and remind him about the principle of authority, right? No, this is not your place to be getting up and leading. And here you just get the sense that these Pharisees and these other chief leaders are saying, who do you think you are? And ultimately, this question of authority we're going to see today is a question for all of us. Because the real question that is going on here in Mark chapter 11 is not the leaders of the Jews saying to Jesus, who do you think you are? The real question is Jesus turning it around on them and saying, wait a second. Who do you think you are? And the question for all of us today, my friends, 
is not about, first of all, who do you think Jesus is? It's about who do you think you are when it relates to Jesus of Nazareth. The title of our message today is A Question of Authority. A Question of Authority. Jesus, who do you think you are? And Jesus' response, which forces them to acknowledge, wait, who do I think I am? And we're going to start, first of all, by looking at what I'm going to call authority claimed. Authority claimed. Now, when I say the word authority, what comes to mind for you? When I say authority. Now, some of us, maybe many of us, do not have a good picture in our minds. Authority. That sounds like a boss. That sounds like someone, our parents. Authority. I, I don't like the concept of authority. And do you know none of us naturally like the concept of authority? Not one of us. Not one of us ultimately wants to yield the sovereign, fundamental authority over our life. What is authority? Authority is marked by two things. Right and might. That's authority. If you wanted to, if you wanted to summarize authority, right and might. You say, what do you mean? Right. Authority is characterized by right. Who has the right to do something? If you have the right to do something, you have a form of authority. You have the right to tell your children, hey kids, it's time to go to bed. You have the right to do that. In your house, you have the right to do certain things. And no one can tell you, in a human sense, otherwise. In this country, we have something called the Bill of Rights. You have the right to worship under the free exercise of religion. And the government cannot tell you that you cannot worship in this particular way. You have a right. So that's one area of authority. But then there's the second area of authority, which is might. You don't have very much right to do something if you don't have the might to enforce it. You understand what I'm saying. In you, when you are a parent... You have the right to say, child, go to bed. You also have the might to enforce it. If the child looks at you and says, nah, -uh, I'm not going to bed, you have the might to pick up that child and say, oh, yes, you are. Go get in your bed. You see, you have the right and you have the might. Our governments have the same thing. They have the right in certain ways to say, don't steal, don't kill people, don't cheat people, and they have the might to say, if you do that, there will be a representative of our government coming to look for you, and they will put you in front of a judge who is part of the system, and then you yourself will be a part of the system. They have the right, and they have the might. So you see here, when the Pharisees and the leaders of this day are asking Jesus, what authority are you doing this by? They're talking both of right and might. 
Now, I want us to see when I say authority claimed, we need to see what Jesus has been doing that is creating this question in the first place. And this is why I asked Paul to read this morning for us a little bit back in our study. And I just encourage you, if you have your Bible with us this morning, to open it together with us. You may have it on your phone or a tablet or a device or in a hard copy. Wherever it is, let's make sure we're looking at the same words together and that you're, assure, you're ensuring that this is God's word we are proclaiming today. So in Mark chapter 11, that's the second gospel of the New Testament, right after Matthew, right before Luke, we have read in verse 15 that Jesus has come to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. Now look at verse 15 with me. And began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer, or the idea is there, permit. He would not permit that any man should carry any vessel through the temple like it was a shortcut. Now, we covered this just briefly on Easter Sunday. We'll just do a very quick overview. Jerusalem at this time was crowded with perhaps hundreds of thousands of more people than would ordinarily be there. Do you remember several years back when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis? And do you remember if you went downtown, the crowds that were just all over Minneapolis? There was a similar time before that when there was the Final Four, and I remember being downtown and literally just crowds of people. Now imagine Jerusalem just bursting at its seams, just like that, because people were there for the Passover celebration, one of the national feasts of the entire Jewish calendar. And hundreds, as hundreds of thousands, if not more, people crowd into Jerusalem. The temple would have been the center of activity at the whole city. Just like in Super Bowl Minneapolis, it was U.S. Bank Stadium. People crowding around in the same place. In the temple now, people are crowding in, crowding around this great pride of the Jewish people, the temple, the place where God dwelt, the place where sacrifices were being made for people's sin. This was their identity as a people. And at this crowd, at this great preparation for the Passover feast, there was a problem because Jesus saw there was not actual worship going on. God was not pleased by the spectacle that was going on at this temple. And we talked again about it a little bit at Easter, but I'll just remind us. You say money changers. Why were there money changers in the temple? Because the people in the temple, the religious elites, the high priests, they had a nice system. They said, you know, when you come into the temple... We have inspectors of the animals that are going to be presented for sacrifice. Oh, you're bringing in this bird? Let me take a look at it for sacrifice. Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't pass inspection. You're going to have to get another one. And the person would say, well, where do I get one? Ah, we have a seller of doves right down the street. Oh, I'm sorry, you got yours for 25 cents? This one's $3. But you can get it. Crooks. Crooks. Then they said, oh, okay, well, I've got three dollars. Here it is. And they look at it and say, oh, I'm sorry. You don't have the right currency. We only take 
the temple shekel. I'm sorry, that, that's the only coin that's allowed in this. And they say, well, how do I change? How do I change my coins, my Roman coins, for these kinds of shekels? Oh, there's a money changer right down there. And what would they put on top of the money changing? They would put a, a, a conversion rate that was completely fraudulent, that was, that was taking advantage. Now, what would they do on all of those things? They were robbing people. They were robbing people to make money. And so they've got money changers, and they've got doves being sold, and it looked like a shopping mall. It was like a shopping mall. And Jesus comes in and says, this house, God's house, is supposed to be a house of prayer for everyone. And you have made it a den of thieves. Now, those are some harsh words for the religious elites of Jesus' day who were getting rich. They were becoming fat cats by ripping off the people who came to worship God through their sacrifices. Jesus was going to have none of it. What did he do? He made a scene. He's, can you just imagine him flipping over the tables of money? I mean, literally, the money changers are sitting there and they're doing it. And he comes up, whoop! Money goes flying. There are the animals that are being exchanged. And can't you just see and feel the, the, the righteous anger that he had? Get out! Those of you who have had animals know that you don't always move those big farm animals too easy. Jesus had force behind him. Get out. He cleared him out. And then here are a few people trying to take a shortcut through the outdoor courtyard of the temple. Jesus, no, go around. Nope, you're not coming through here. He did not permit anyone to walk through the temple carrying a vessel as if it were a shortcut. Wow. Now again, just put yourself in the place of these people. The people of Jesus' day, the religious leaders. They're literally looking at him thinking, who do you think you are? What are you, what are you doing coming into our temple and acting like this? But you see, Jesus was claiming authority to do that. He was acting like he did have authority to do that. We remember this, didn't we see already in the very first part of this chapter, in chapter 11, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem? What was he riding? Was he riding a battle horse? He intentionally chose out a donkey to ride. Why did he ride on a donkey? Because he knew of the Old Testament prophecy of God saying that Israel's king would come to them riding on a donkey. What was he doing? He was claiming, hey, I'm the king. I'm fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. And now he sweeps into the temple and he starts cleaning it. You say, on what basis? Well, listen to Malachi chapter 3. Another Old Testament book, the last book of the Old Testament. Listen to what he was prophesied of what God's messenger would do. God says through Malachi the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek, the Lord, who is the Lord? Jesus. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And now listen to this. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire 
and like fuller's soap. Jesus, as the Lord and as the king, comes sweeping in to God's house, into his temple, and begins exercising his authority over it. He says, no, this isn't what God wants. Get it out. That's a pretty dramatic claim. It's the dramatic claim of someone who would come in here off the street and walk up to this pulpit and kick me out and say, I have some words from God to you. We would all recognize that as a pretty dramatic claim to authority. He was having this kind of claim. Now, why was this such a shocking claim to these people? Because of who Jesus was. Don't, don't, don't miss this. This had always been a problem for them. We've been seeing it from the very beginning of the book of Mark. If you were to go back into the book of Mark and chapter 1, and you were to look at verses 21 through 28, we won't go there just for time's sake, but you can go look at them on your own. Mark 1, verses 21 through 28, you would see Jesus teaching the people. And do you remember now what they said about him? The people couldn't get over. They, they, were, they marveled at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had... Same word. Authority. You know what? All the rabbis and the teachers of that day, they taught and they said, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this, and teacher said this. Not Jesus. Jesus said, I say. I say. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus would say things like, it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt, he said, but I say unto you. Do you know who someone who talks like that? That's someone who talks as if they have authority. They couldn't get over how just confident Jesus was, assured he was. This guy's got authority. Not only that, we saw in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus healed the paralyzed man that had been let down through the roof. You remember his friends let him down through a hole in the roof in front of Jesus? And Jesus says, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And these religious leaders are sitting there crossing their arms and saying, who can forgive sins but God only? No one's got that kind of authority. And Jesus says, which one's easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, what none of us can see? Or to say, rise up and walk, what everyone can see? Which one's easier to say? You tell me, which one's easier to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. No one can see. It's much harder to say, get up and walk. And so Jesus said, so that you may know the Son of Man has power. That word literally in the Greek is authority. It's the same word that's used here. Power or authority to forgive sins. Does the Son of Man have power, have authority on earth to forgive sins? He said, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. What was Jesus doing? He's saying, do you know who I am? I have authority to do this. This was always a problem for the religious leaders because they couldn't get over who Jesus was. He wasn't from Jerusalem. He wasn't from their circles. He was from the north of Israel, from Galilee. He was from a backwards place. And even more than that, probably worse than that. He didn't go through their school. He didn't get a degree from them. He wasn't certified and credentialed with their credentials. He was just that guy from up in Galilee who was coming into our temple and trying to tell us what to do. They couldn't take this guy. They, their pride would not allow it. So authority claimed by Jesus, I am the king, 
I am the one who's coming in to exercise God's righteous claim on this temple. But secondly, notice with me, authority challenged. Authority challenged. Will you notice with me? Now in verse number 28. Well, let's start in 27. Look with me in Mark 11 and verse 27. Jesus has come again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple. There come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, who are these people? Chief priests, those are the ones who were in charge of the temple and the sacrificial system. The scribes, those were the religious teachers. Those were the ones whose job it was to interpret the Mosaic law and to teach about what Moses had commanded the people to do. And then there were the elders. Those were, if you will, the social and community leaders, the most important guys in town. This was probably a delegation from the Sanhedrin. Who is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was the governing body. It was like the supreme court of the Jewish people of that day. Oh, it was under Roman rule still. They were all under Roman rule. But this was the governing body of the Jewish people. And, and historians tell us there would have been 70 men in the Sanhedrin plus the high priest. So 71 people total with the high priest of that day kind of being the chief, the, the, the CEO, the, the, the chairman of the board of the Sanhedrin. And probably what happened here is they sent this overarching Supreme Court governing body of the land, sent people to Jesus, a delegation to him, and said, notice what they said. And they say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Who do you think you are? What right do you have to come into our temple, to clean it out, and now to go around teaching in our temple like you are? Now, we've got to notice, first of all, that this was a serious question. It was a serious question because as we've said, if anyone came into our church and started acting even anything like Jesus acted, we would ask them a similar question. What right do you have to come in and be doing this? The serious part of the question is probably what was implied. We didn't give you this authority. You never asked us. You didn't get credentialed by us. We're the ones in charge. Who do you think you are? Well, notice, though, that it was a serious question, but it was not a sincere question. It was not a sincere question. We're going to see that it was not a sincere question. In other words, did these people actually come to Jesus truly, legitimately seeking where his authority came from? Jesus, we really have a question. Why are you doing this? Is this from God? No. What they wanted to do, and what we're going to see in subsequent weeks, they just wanted to trap him. They wanted to trick him. They wanted him to say confidently, oh, my authority is from God. Do you know why? So they could accuse him of being a blasphemer. So they could accuse him of being sacrilegious. So that they could put him to death. They wanted to trap him. This was just one among many chances that they tried to do it. It wasn't a sincere question, and Jesus knew it. Let's look at how he responds. Will you look with me at how he responds? Verse 29, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. Have you ever asked someone a question and you get a question back? That can be a little frustrating, right? Hey, kid, did you steal that cookie? What did you see, Mom? What did, what, I don't know, did, 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 you, did you ask my sister? Did, did you ask my brother? No, I didn't, I didn't ask those. I asked you a question, buddy. Did you steal it? You see, answering a question with a question can be a way to evade an answer. And it would be easy to look at what Jesus did here as being evasive. Jesus says, they say, who by what authority do you do these things? Jesus knows that they want to get a, a clever answer from him, so he just says, uh-huh, I'm going to ask you a question instead. Now, there may have been something in which Jesus knew they were not seeking it sincerely, and he says, I'm not going to give you what you guys are looking for. There may be a touch in which that's true. But do you know actually that Jesus, I think, is making an even greater statement? He's answering their question in a way that they can't even deal with because it is ripping their own mask off. Now, let me try to, let me try to explain why. This actually is true even when you're telling people about Christ. Have you ever gotten some, some hostile questions from people? How could you think a, a loving God could send people to hell? Have you ever gotten that question? How could a loving God send people to hell? Do you know if that question's not sincere, a sincere question, do you know sometimes it's better just to answer it, answer it with another question? Not to evade, but just to get them thinking. One question you might ask is, well, why would you believe that a just God would send you to the same place as Adolf Hitler? Have you ever thought about that? Why would a just God send Adolf Hitler to the same place as you or someone else? You see, sometimes a question, responding to a question with a question, makes someone be confronted with their own lack of thinking, with their own lack of understanding. Oh, wait. I've never thought about it like that before. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's confronting them with the question. Now, what kind of question is this? Now, notice what he said. Is the baptism of John from heaven, or is the baptism of John from men? Now, notice he says the baptism of John. What was the baptism of John? The baptism of John was John the Baptist coming to the entire people of Israel and saying, you need to get right with God. This whole system of religion is not pleasing God because it's confronted, because it's confounded by sin. So you need to get right by being baptized publicly. It's a baptism of repentance and it's connected to the forgiveness of their sins. Oh man, those Pharisees and those chief leaders hated it. They came to watch it as a spectacle, but they weren't going to submit to being baptized. Who were the ones that embraced John's baptism? Who were the ones that said, yeah, we need to get baptized? The sinners! The ones who knew they were broken. The ones who knew they were empty before God. They said, we'll get baptized. Now, here's the important thing. Do you know there's no command in the Old Testament in Moses' law for baptism? Like what was going on here? 
It's not like John came up through the school of these religious leaders and said, oh, I'm going to expound this Mosaic law. You all need to get baptized. No, God was doing a new thing. God was bringing about a dynamic ministry of baptism to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And he wasn't sending them through the elite. He wasn't sending them through the Sanhedrin. He wasn't sending them through the temple priests. He was sending them through this odd duck. This guy out in the wilderness. This guy wearing a weird outfit and eating locusts and eating honey. This guy who they just was completely outside their circle. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, wait a second. You claim that I don't have authority because I come from outside your circle. I'm just this guy up from Galilee coming and doing this. What about John? Was he from God? And now they're confronted with just a, a terrible spot. Just a terrible spot. They were trying to trap Jesus. And I love this, what it says when they say, verse 31, and they reasoned with themselves. I mean, can't you just imagine like a dozen of them coming together and coming up with Jesus and they're just thinking, we've got him, we've got a trap, where's your authority coming from? And Jesus asks them one question and they just kind of, time out. I can just see them, like the, the 12 of them just getting together, sticking their heads up. I mean, how ridiculous do they look? They reason with themselves. Look at saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did he not believe him? Oh, that's true, right? If they acknowledge, well, this guy from outside the temple circles was sent from God, Jesus is just going to look at them and say, well, you didn't get baptized, you didn't follow him, you didn't believe him, what gives? But notice then what they say. But if we shall say of men, he didn't come from God, he was just some guy, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Everyone in that town thought John was a true prophet from God. He was from God. And so look at how pathetic their answer is. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. We don't know. What a ridiculous answer. What a cowardly answer. But do you know ultimately what this answer revealed about them? It... it it ripped the mask off their hypocrisy. Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. He was saying, do you really care about who comes from God? Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? They knew full well that he was claiming authority from God. And Jesus turns the tables on them and says, if I say God, will you believe me? If I can prove that it's from God, will you listen? And they answered the question. They answered the question, no! They didn't care about God's authority. They didn't care about who Jesus actually was from. They cared only about themselves. They said, if we say John the Baptist was from God, then we're going to get humiliated in front of all the people. Jesus is going to have the upper hand on us. But if we say he was from men, then we might lose our authority because there might be a riot. We are afraid of the people. Friends, they did not care two figs about God's authority. They cared only about their own authority. And so Jesus, how does he respond? And Jesus answering saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And friends, that word would have penetrated right through them. 
if you're not going to acknowledge or care about the authority that comes from God, then I have no reason to give you the answer that you want. Who do you think you are? You know, friends, for one, I'm just struck by how amazing Jesus is. Utterly amazing. He takes these people who just want to trap him up, and all he does is he rips their mask off in front of the whole crowd and shows they only really care about themselves. But do you know what, friends, and this is where I want to close this morning, he's going to do the same thing to us. That's why I want to look finally at authority confronting. Not just authority claim, not just authority challenged, but the authority that confronts. Because ultimately, whenever we are tempted to look up at Jesus and say, what authority do you have to tell me this? Who do you think you are? He turns it back around in us and says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What took place only days after this confrontation? Jesus died. And he died exercising the authority as God's high priest to make a sacrifice of himself for your sin and my sin. He died as the sinless high priest that came between man and God, that took man by the hand and brought them to God by his own death. He is the high priest. He is God's king. He is God's prophet. He is God's spokesman. He has all the authority of Almighty God. And what is he saying to us? He's saying, will you accept my authority or not? I want you to notice this very clearly. Their questioning of his authority had, had no bearing on whether he had authority or not. These guys with their credentials could say, you're not in our circle. You're not in our club. You didn't come through and get the right degrees. It had nothing to do with whether he had God's authority. He did, and God proved it by raising him from the dead. He established him and put his stamp of approval on him eternally as his king, as his high priest, as his prophet. And it's the same thing today. I say to all of us today, are you rejecting the authority of Jesus Christ as your king, as your priest, as your prophet? It's a very easy thing for us to come to church and sit down in our seats and say, I want to hear what the pastor has to say. I'm not convinced yet. I'm not sure that Jesus is the king. I still have some questions I'm working through. Friends, if that's you and that's been your excuse, would you see from here that the question is not intellectual, the question is moral. These high priests didn't need more information from Jesus. They needed the, the humility to submit to him morally and say, Jesus, what you say goes and I just plead with you here this morning, friends, if that's been your excuse when you've come to Straight Gate Church to say, I'm still thinking through it, I'm still reasoning about it, I'm still not sure, your questioning is having nothing to do with the authority, true authority of Jesus Christ. Will you accept his authority? Will you submit to it? 
But there's one final question. There is not just a, a challenge to those who are rejecting the authority of Christ. It's a challenge to those who are resenting the authority of Christ. Resenting it. You say, what do you mean? I mean those who know that Jesus is king. Who know that he has the right to command them to act or live in a particular way. And they say, but I don't have to like it. I don't have to appreciate. I don't like that he can tell me what music to listen to. I don't like that he can tell me what I can do in my sexual life. I don't like that he can tell me how to treat my spouse. I don't like that he tells me what to do with my money. I resent it. The ultimate question, friends, is one of the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority before whom every knee will bow one day. Before whom every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Friends, he has that authority. And the question is whether we will reject it. Whether we will resent it. Or whether ultimately we will receive it. Whether we will embrace it. You see, what should the the chief leaders of that day done to win Je to, to Jesus' claims to authority. They should have done exactly this. Given him the key. Hey Jesus, tell us what we should be doing in the temple. Tell us what we should be doing in worshiping God in this house of prayer. Tell us what we should be doing in our system. Teach us. Give us the key. And we'll give you ours but they did, couldn't do it. And you know, in the same way, there's a real test of your discipleship, of your relationship with Jesus Christ in the question of simply whether you will kneel before him today and say, Jesus, I'm giving you the keys. Whatever you say, I'll do it because I know you know best. I'll close with just one verse that wonderfully depicts this from the Old Testament, Psalm 119 and verse 128. You can go look at it for yourself and meditate on it perhaps this afternoon. Listen to what the psalmist says. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Did you hear that? Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts, all your commands, all your statements concerning all things, all your precepts concerning all things to be right. And this question of our submission to the authority of Jesus Christ is whether you can say the same thing this morning. Jesus, whatever you say about anything, I cherish to be right and as God gives me grace, I will obey. Friends, there is a question of authority for us today. And it is the question that rings out through all the ages. Will you submit to Jesus? May that be our answer of yes today.